Good afternoon, happy Wednesday to you. I'm Bobby Corella from Mavs.com. He's Jeff Skin Wade from everywhere. Hey. And uh, this is Numbers on the Boards. It's a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. It's flu season. Skin, how are you holding up? Man, I'm I'm doing good. I was fighting it off the last uh, week and a half. It never got bad enough to slow me down. Uh, but it was always just kind of a nuisance. But I feel like I've turned the corner. You mentioned the weather's getting nicer. I anticipate I'll be on a golf course sometime in the next 48 hours. Really? The Mavericks are winning. That Christmas is right around the corner. I don't know that I could be in a better mood with more energy right now. Dude, this month between Thanksgiving and Christmas is always by far the best of the year. It's great. Always so are good. you more of a Thanksgiving guy or a Christmas guy? You know, I'm a, I'm a little bit of both, man. I love Thanksgiving because sitting around eating a, a just ungodly amount of pie, watching football, yeah. great time with my family. Yep. Christmas is always good, but it's kind of like whenever Christmas is over, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the, the fun time of the year is over. Yeah. You know? I mean, New Year's is always a good time, but Christmas is sort of like – Christmas is like a Sunday. It's great whenever it's happening, and then around 4 p.m., you're like, oh, man, because after that, it's like your holidays are over. Right. You know? Y- you know, the other thing, too, is I feel like there's a level of stress involved with Christmas that isn't involved with Thanksgiving. Yeah. Now, the people that spend a lot of time in the kitchen would probably disagree with me, and I've been able to skate my whole life without doing much more than maybe throwing a turkey on a on a grill or something. All you have to do is just be bad at cooking. Yeah, but but you know what's great, as and you, you can feel this as a fellow NBA nerd, man, that Wednesday night – before Thanksgiving when, like, what were there, 28 teams playing? Oh, yeah. I awesome. mean, that was NBA Nirvana. And then the next day it's football and indulgent food. And then I had to work Friday, but it was for the radio show, but it was a relatively easy show. Hey, Cowboys played. Mm-hmm. And then we had a badass game Saturday night. So my Thanksgiving, my, that little three- or four-day stretch was just awesome. Oh, yeah, it's it was great. so great. It's great, yeah. And then this time of year, football's heating up. You know, it's, you're, you're having your fantasy football playoffs and your, and your real playoff. Uh, stretch run basketball is like becoming there goes Mike Marshall Mike is uh he was producing for us today but once he heard us talking he got bored and has decided to leave he's like oh did you clown say fantasy football see you later I'm out of here you bunch of dorks uh but NBA season is really picking up now the one good thing I'll say about Christmas is that basically it, it represents like the beginning of the real NBA year, right? Yeah. You got your first 30 games of the NBA, everybody's feeling themselves out. Right. Uh, a lot of great stuff is happening. We're going to talk about all of it, obviously. But after Christmas, it's sort of like, all right, now we're we're actually rolling. Like, yes. These, these games are starting to matter It's now. go time. Yeah, so that's the one good thing about Christmas is that it Christmas is to the NBA what Thanksgiving is to the NFL. So that's why I love both, man. I, I, I just love sports, and uh, the good thing is both of those holidays, big sports days. Yes. Uh, this is going to be a big sports show. we got a lot of stuff that we got to talk about. So uh, whenever the Mavs are playing well, there's just a lot of uh, good things that we can talk about and that we can touch on. Um, defense has been the driving force behind this 7-2 and two run. Go figure. Uh, it's got all of us amped up, yeah. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, another thing – uh, J.J. Barea is still good, man. So we're going to talk about him and, and the other guys off the bench and uh, just how Devin Harris is probably the most underrated player in the, in the history of basketball. Dude. I think. We, could, we could talk about that for a little I'm bit. I'm so too, glad you said that. I, yeah. I want to get into that. You, you're you our point guard, so you decide where we go first and whatnot, but we got to work some Devin Harris okay, talking. Okay, maybe, maybe we'll start with the bench then because I'm, I'm amped up to talk J.J. You're amped up to talk Devin, so mm-hmm. we'll start there. Uh, after that, we're going to talk about why the Western Conference is – Either really good or really bad or really somewhere in between, but mm-hmm. it's it's crazy out here. 
uh, in this Wild West. And then finally, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, about Dennis Smith, Kimball Walker, what they have in common. We're going to talk about the Mavs Podcast Network's own Jonathan Charks uh, and some of the stuff that the Ringer people are doing. Hallelujah. Yeah, uh, man. So we're going to touch on a bunch of stuff. But first, Skin. Yes. Uh, the Mavs are 9-9. Nine and nine. They've won seven of their last nine games. It is no coincidence, in my estimation, that them playing really well has corresponded with a couple things. First off, Harrison Barnes is back and healthy. That matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, Luka Doncic is still on the team, and he's really good. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, you got J.J. playing well. For the first, I don't know, ten games of the year, his percentages were in the pits. Mm-hmm. And then something magical happened. The, 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 the clouds parted, and from the heavens fell. Devin Harris. You're right. And once those two guys have been reunited, basically You're right. since then, they chocolate have and been, peanut butter, homie. They have been destroying people. Yeah, absolutely destroying people. Um, I've used this phrase on our podcast many times. It always stayed with me, and I loved it so much. Uh, but it was one of the you know Devin gets hurt a lot, right? So inevitably. We'll do on the broadcast, uh, when Devin comes back, we'll always do, hey, Devin's back. Why is this great? And a couple years ago, I asked Melvin Hunt, what's so great about getting Devin Harris back? And he used the phrase, well, Devin has the ultimate corporate knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that was a great analogy because basically what he's saying is he knows everything there is to know about our team. And when you know everything there is to know about your team, you know what works and what doesn't. And so you're adding another guy, which if you pull up a stat sheet, you go, okay, whatever. But no, it's more than that. It's all the nuances. It's all the things that matter for winning plays. And the old cliche, well, that doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Well, there's a reason people say that. And Devin Harris has that. And the chemistry with him and J.J., you know, we, we do interviews after Maverick wins in the locker room, and I was interviewing J.J. when he had a particularly outstanding game statistically. And I started the interview with going, well, your numbers were good, but it's probably because Devin's back. And he kind of smiled and knew I was messing with him. But there is something about the work other people do allowing other people to shine at their jobs. J.J. has the ability and the experience to shine at his job regardless, but when you put him in that comfort zone with that other guy that handles all the things that he doesn't handle and vice versa, then suddenly Maxie and Dwight are shining, and who's out there with him? Is it Dorian or you know, have they altered the minutes to where it's Wes? Whatever, it works, and it has worked. And it was like I saw something The Athletic wrote a week ago. Somebody had posted it where they said, wow, who saw this coming from the Mavs bench unit? I was like, what, did you not watch the NBA last year? No, did listen you... to this podcast all summer. Yeah, did you we were talking about that? We, we talked about DeAndre and Luca giving a chance for the, ba- for the second unit to go get us big leads because we thought they'd get off to better starts. Maybe we'll get back to that in a second. Mm. But – J.J. is going to be good regardless, but J.J. is better when he's out there with Devin, and the same goes for Devin. And I think, you know, statistically the best example of that was the 18.4 steal game. Like, that was an extreme example yeah, of without it. Without him, they definitely lose to Brooklyn, and you're not feeling great after that game. Okay, and then what do we always talk about with Brooklyn? They play as hard as anybody. You've got to, Who plays harder than Devin Harris on this team? Nobody. Nobody plays harder than Devin Harris on this team, and he's an old man by NBA standards. He's like 35 years old. Right. He's washed up. Yeah. I'm joking, obviously. <laughs> but, but the point is that that still matters. I don't care how talented the guy is. It still matters. And Devin has experience to go with playing balls out, to being able to play multiple positions. Devin will get switched off on fours and handle it. Devin does it all, and I think that he's the most underrated component to this team by a million miles, 
And that dude is so awesome, he just doesn't care. Yeah. He doesn't care. I love it. I love Devin Harris. He was like seriously contemplating retirement this offseason. Yeah. And uh, he was just going to kick it at home with the girls. Yeah. And then basically the Mavs called him in mid July. Yeah. And were like, hey, what do you think? And uh, he's out here playing like pro volleyball yeah. in California. And he's <laughs> right. like, oh, I'll think about it. All right. And then here he is. And now he's killing it. Uh, okay. I love that. So dude. The, the five main, and I know that Dorian has been starting for a, a little bit with Wes out and then with uh, Barnes out before that. And then Dennis missed a game, blah, blah, blah. blah. So, but I'm, I'm counting Dorian as a bench player. So your five main bench players with Powell out have been JJ, Devin, Dorian, Brunson, Maxi Kleba. Mm-hmm. Those five. Okay. So I'm going to give you a, just like a stat about each of those five, and then I just kind of want to talk about it for a little bit, get your reaction to them. Okay. So because we just talked about Devin, here is what where I'll start. I'll start with him. So whenever Devin is on the floor, the Mavericks – there's a stat called free throw rate. I'll, I'll start there. So free throw rate is basically how many free throws you attempt per shot. Mm-hmm. So if you have a – free throw rate of 1.0 that means for every shot you take you take one free throw that's incredibly high that's that's, a, that's, that's ridiculous. like 80s small forward high yeah yeah that's nuts your your basic really good team free throw rate is like 0.3 yeah so you take 50 shots in a game that means you're gonna take 15 free throws right which is you know you're taking close to 100 shots in the game 30 free throws that's a lot that's a good number okay that's man they're getting to the line yeah uh, so whenever Devin is on the floor this year, the Mavs have a free throw rate of .37, okay? God. .29 when he's not. .29 is like, fine. .37 yeah. is like, holy crap. You're getting to the line, And baby. the reason is, it's not that they, uh, the, the bench is not just like driving the bass, driving the lane relentlessly, right? The the thing that I think uh, has been sort of the, the engine behind that is Devin draws a ton of off-the-ball fouls, mm-hmm. a ton of them. Mm-hmm. Like, he'll cut and get grabbed. That's like... The first thing I noticed, uh, his first game back, five seconds after he came on the floor, like while the fans are still clapping, now on the floor for the Mavs, Devin Harris whistle blows immediately. It's because he made a cut in the lane and someone grabbed him. Right. And was it J.J. with the ball getting ready to make that bounce pass? Yeah, it's always something like that. There's always someone grabbing him or bumping him, and he's just really good at drawing the contact. So uh, he's junking up the game, too. It's not only that they're shooting free throws, but he's junking up the game. They're getting to the line getting easy points. Yeah. So that's kind of my, my, my Devin stat. I love that. I hadn't even considered that. I wouldn't have even had the uh, wherewithal to look that up, but it just sort of goes to show uh, how intuitive you are about these things because that is a great uh, – that's a great really synopsis of some of the things that he does. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's a stat you can look up, but that's not something you're going to necessarily find in a quote-unquote box score when you're looking at You're going to see it. five points, two assists, and be right. like, well, how is he plus 17? Right. And the other thing, too, is a lot of times these fouls, you mentioned right when he checked in, we talk about this, I mean, every broadcast talked about this. Man, when you're in the bonus with seven minutes to go, you are totally in control. Absolutely. You know, because you, they don't want to just put you on the line so other things open up. You are completely in control. So off the ba- off the ball fouls like that, just in the course of a you know just your standard play, you go all right. Well, ball out of bounds, that matters. Yep. You do that two or three times in a five minute period, and then a couple times they go over your back or whatever. Now you're shooting free throws every time they breathe on yeah, you. Yeah, you know someone else is very good at drawing off the ball fouls. Harrison Barnes, yeah, very good at that. Yes. Uh, okay, JJ Barea. Here's your JJ stat. Okay. Whenever he's on the floor, the Mavs score 111.8 points per 100 possessions, which is basically good enough for, like, fourth best in the NBA. Whenever he's off the floor, just 102.1, which is you're going to be in the lottery. Mm -hmm. In his last 10 games, he is plus 
102 overall. So that's absurd. In the last How many 10 games? 10? When he, yeah, in, in 10 games when he's on the floor, the Mavericks have scored 102 points more than their opponents. He and, and he's doing it in what, 23 minutes? Yeah, like he's playing 25 for him is like, whoa, he well, played yeah. a lot of minutes. And, and and I think, too, people get into this thing. They go, well, they need to play him more. No, they don't. Yeah, they play him the perfect amount. They play amount. him the perfect amount. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of people have been asking me, man, what are we going to do when Dirk comes back? I'm like, man, it's going to make DeAndre Jordan fresher, and it's going to make – you know, Dwight rarely plays more than 20. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you don't go, oh, well, Dirk's back. Maxie goes away. No, you kind of – you can figure this out by slicing in everybody. And I know on this podcast before we've talked about when Hubie Brown took over Memphis and basically 10 guys were playing 24 minutes a night. I realize that doesn't fit the narrative of the modern uh, of the of the star driven NBA, but it fits the narrative of winning basketball. Just think about it. If you have it, you know, I always think about this with uh, defensive linemen in the NFL. One of the best the Cowboys ever had their best defensive line was the early 90s. And people talk about Charles Haley. But the thing that made it great was they had eight guys that could play. And so at the end of games, normally when defensive lines are tired because an offensive line has worn them down, not the fresh guys rotating out every play and every series. And so that's the same thing with the NBA. If J.J. Barea can play, doesn't have to play 28 or 29 minutes, then his minutes are more effective, especially Devin Harris. If Devin Harris, Devin Harris goes so hard. So you don't want him because if, if, you're, if, you're, if he's playing that style, his 24th and 25th minute ain't going to be that good. Right. You know and, what I'm saying? Well, and on the other hand, if you're going to play him 25 minutes, then he's not going to play that style the entire time. Exactly. He's going to be a lesser version of himself. Exactly. And it's about, you know, don't also, you know, I think a lot of people pick up a stat sheet and go, oh, he played 25 minutes tonight. It's the, what I've learned is it's the increment of minutes and how they navigate those increments. Yep. Uh, that, that really matters. It's like, okay, well, did he play more than four and a half in this stretch? Or, you know, those things all, all kind of factor in. Yeah, so I think your, your, your big JJ thing, and this is difficult to kind of just uh, – it's difficult to identify when he comes in the game, but generally he's coming in the game like six or seven minutes into the game, mm -hmm. right? Okay, there's no real easy way to say – J.J. averages his first appearance six and a half minutes in the game, but generally Dennis is subbed out somewhere around the first timeout. Mm -hmm. So Dennis will play six, seven minutes, in comes J.J. Whenever J.J. comes in, starters are still on the floor for the opponent, mm -hmm. but they're a little tired. Right. J.J. comes in with Devin and these other guys, and they just play hard, so they run those guys off the floor yeah. in a couple minutes. And then in come the, the opposing team's bench, but by then the Mavs bench is already rolling, so they're Got feeling good, rhythm. and these other guys are trying to keep up. So I think it's like the timing of when Rick you, – you just talk about increments. Mm -hmm. So the timing of, of when Rick brings these guys in because they're playing initially versus a slightly tired starting lineup, and then they're playing against just a completely overwhelmed backup unit. Because you, these guys are – I mean, J.J.'s like – Mike jokingly tweeted the other day that JJ is a top twenty point guard in the league, but like he is, he I think he might be. He <laughs> is, know? and so he's always going to be better than whoever's right. off the bench for the other team. So right. I mean, first they have a, a leg advantage, and then they have a skill advantage. Yeah. And whenever you can compound those two, then you're going to be plus one hundred two in ten games. Do you remember the talk last year about how the change in number of timeouts was going to impact how coaches coach? Yeah. Okay. Uh what I've been thinking about lately is the phenomenal increase in pace league-wide is also going to change how coaches coach because they're going to have to figure out, you know, those decisions of subs are going to be more important because guys are going to be more tired because they're playing harder, especially with bigs. 
bigs running harder and more than they have before in the past. And switching on to guards more. Switching on to guards. Roles, playing more space. You know, there's been a lot of talk about when DeAndre, quote-unquote, has been or hasn't been engaged or whatever phrase you want to use for that. You know, what I feel like I see more often than not when, you know, people grab an individual play out of context and post it and go, see this? A lot of times when I feel like DeAndre is not playing optimal DeAndre, I feel like I'm watching a tired guy. And I think that those – because there's a big difference in I'm tired and I don't have the wherewithal to get there right now versus, ah, screw it, I don't care. Those aren't the same things, homie. Mm-hmm. If you're watching something out of context and making some conclusion from your television from five states away, you're not really doing good basketball work there, my friend. Yeah. So I'm not giving DeAndre an excuse. Coaches never give you an excuse. Well, some co- – you know, Nelly always used to talk about scheduled losses – yeah, uh, you'll never hear Rick Carlisle talk about scheduled losses. He may think it. Mm. He'll never tell anybody that. Same thing that happens when we talking about this with the Spurs and the Patriots. Oh my God, they're missing. Uh, the Patriots are missing ten guys, and they're still winning. That's because they don't expect to lose, and they don't expect to have excuses to lose. Yeah. Well, and also whenever you have really talented backups, that's yeah. You know, if Dennis goes down, you can start JJ, or right. you can start Luca, and then bring in JJ play more minutes. The whatever. Celtics I mean, game all, was a great example. Yeah. Let's leave JJ doing what he's going to do, and we're going to, you know, we already, you know, th- maybe we should get into this. The the whole, uh, you know, there's a lot of people talking about. Well, the Celtic game proves that uh, Luca needs to be the full time point guard, and uh, you got to get Dennis off the floor. I'm like, no. That game proves that the Celtics are on the second night of a back-to-back. The Mavericks had good size all out there on the floor. It worked to their advantage. When Kyrie got switched off onto Luka, they took advantage of it. I mean, every game is its own individual thing. But Followell had sent me this. You may already know this. Did you know what uh, – now, this stat is like a week old now. Mm. But did you know uh, what Luka's clutch time usage rate was? Had you seen this? Oh, man. Uh, well, I know that for a very long time, uh, at, at the height of the Luca freeze-out conspiracy yep. theory. Which was hilarious. His fourth quarter usage rate, now his fourth quarter, not clutch, his fourth quarter usage rate was a mile ahead of any other rookies. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to say, but that, that doesn't this, compare this, to like he LeBron. Sent, he sent me, follow up, sent me this text on November 21st. I just want to okay. let everybody know, I'm going to welcome everybody into the world of basketball nerds. Yeah. So, uh, I just, I'm gonna, hold I'm on, guess, hold on. Let, let me guess. Let well, me guess. Well, I just want to okay. read you this before I tell you. Okay. Wednesday, November 21st, one eighteen p.m. Probably hadn't talked follow up. I wish it was one eighteen a.m. <laughs> I know. I hadn't <laughs> talked to him in a day or two. Just out of the blue. If you were to venture a guess what Luca's clutch time <laughs> usage rate is, what would it be? Uh, I love follow well so much. I'm, I'm going to say north of 30, okay. maybe, maybe even higher than 35. My guess was 35. Okay. He replied, good guess, 37.1. Holy crap. Okay, now you want to have your mind blown? He said, Trey Young is 40. Donovan Mitchell last year was 42-7. Jesus. Okay, now here's context, everybody. LeBron as a rookie, 33, so Luka higher than LeBron as a rookie. Durant, 31-5. Iverson, 27. Kobe, 23-4. Damian Lillard, 26-3. Wow. So, but but here, here's why I'm telling you this, or throwing this out here on the podcast. This idea that, see what the Celtic game showed? It's like, have you not been watching the team this year? They're doing it. Mm. Luca has the ball a lot when it matters. And I thought we were getting to positionless basketball anyways. There's going to be a lot of different guys using the ball at different times for different reasons. We don't need to watch one game because a guy's injured and make this wild jump to look at what this proved, everybody. Yeah. It's like, dude. 
get out of your vacuum. Mm. Put some context on this thing. Well, and the the more I, not even troubling, but like the real context of that is the starting lineup with Luca at point guard had a negative plus minus in that in game. In that game, so like they actually got outscored. Right. They it's had a, now they got off to a really good start, and that and it was because of, of Luca. And it was because of right, Luca. Right. And that's that's kind of the the fuel of the whole thing. Is like wow, Luca in the first five minutes of the game hit three threes and had five assists. Yeah. But you know that is kind of. He exploded for five minutes. It yes. happened to be at the beginning of the game. I don't think it's because Dennis wasn't playing. Okay, let me give you the old way of looking at basketball in regards to that, okay? Before numbers and analytics became such a dominant driving force in how we are analyzing the game, right? Uh, which was the old eyeball test. And that was how much basketball experience do you have? How much have you watched? Do you, what do, you, do you look at the game like a scout? Do you know any coaches? Have you ever coached, right? And then we get into this whole thing about who's qualified to talk about basketball and who's not. All right, so – that, before analytics took over, that's where I came from. My dad was a coach. All his buddies were coaches. I grew up at basketball camps. Been around coaches my whole life. Saw a crap ton of basketball. The old eyeball test of what you're watching there was Luca is liberated. Luca has been waiting to play point guard. Look at this. Are you seeing this? Look at his body. Boy, there used to be a whole hell of a lot of body language talk. Yep. Look at his body language. Look at the way he's playing. Look at the aggressiveness. He's, I mean, truly, that five minutes, he looked like LeBron. He looked like LeBron. He, he, okay. he was a LeBron clone. So if you, have, if you have this idea, like if you want to push this narrative of we need to get Dennis out of the way and make it all about Luka, if that's what you want to do, then you are ignoring the fact that in the third quarter, Luka had a possession isolated on the wing, and he dribbled. I didn't go back and watch it, but I'm guessing for 10 seconds. I think you're – Go a little higher. Okay, he never once got an angle. Was it was it Tatum? It was Brown or Tatum that were covering him. I don't uh, remember. One of those two guys. Yeah. And then he eventually shot a contested shot put from twenty three feet with a hand in his face, and Rick pulled him, and Luca walked back towards the bench. You, this is a fun thing to do. Watch the angle when a player gets pulled because he did something wrong that he walks back towards the bench. Because Luca was taking a very circuitous route <laughs> to get to the bench, and Rick was walking and he was barking at him. Mm. And Luca motioned something back to him, you know, very like, uh, I'm not trying to hear you right now. And they were barking, and JJ went in and took over the freaking game. So am I going to watch that and go, see, Luca can't be trusted without, without Dennis on? It's like, what narrative do you want to push? Mm. There's a hundred something possessions going on. There's a lot of things that work and a lot of things that don't work. Don't do this microsurgery on this five-minute run in one game when the Celtics, who had been playing poorly, are on the second night of a back-to-back. -back. Like, that, well, the, the also, Celtic game proved nothing in the grand scheme of things other than, boy, there's a lot of stuff out there that works. And if everybody's making their shots, Luke is going to get a lot of assists. Absolutely. But, uh, I want to add, to that um, – the Celtics didn't know that Luka was going to start at point guard. <laughs> you know, if right. that was something that they had been prepared for, then the entire game might have looked like the third quarter. Right. But the Mavs did a really good job of keeping it a secret. In in the past, whenever Dennis missed a game earlier in the year, Jalen Brunson started at point guard. Mm -hmm. Last year, whenever Dennis was out, J.J. Barea started at point guard. Right. So the Celtics were probably preparing. They knew Dennis and was out, but they were probably preparing to face J.J. or Brunson. Right. Instead, they're like, oh, my God, there's four six-foot-eight guys out here. What are we going to do? And then Kyrie kept getting switched off on Luka. And he was clowning them and, and was posting up and staring down the bench. And then in the third quarter, they're like, we're not going to let that crap happen anymore. Right. Marcus Smart, go push him. Jalen yeah. Brown, go stick your shoulder in his face. Yeah, and, you know, switch, switch differently. We're not going to have Kyrie on Luke. We'll put right. Kyrie on West or one of these right. other guys. And right. then, you know, they, they had a really good third quarter. The Celtics almost won the game because of that third quarter. Yeah, absolutely. And so – 
There's, there's a lot that goes bad. into a game. And guess what? Luke is 19. There's going to be some good. There's going to be some bad. Right. But, yeah, you can't draw. That's one of probably 1,300 games that Luca will play in the NBA. Right. And you just can't draw conclusions from don't, it. Don't watch the game to look for things to support what you want to believe. Mm. Just watch the game, you know, being as open-minded and analytical as you can. We all have our favorite players, right? We all want to see our favorite players succeed in all these things. But – Dude, this is such a battle. It's just a nonstop it's slugfest. Crazy. It's like a tug of war, but it doesn't – it's like it, we're fighting over nothing. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. What are we fighting for? Yeah. I don't know what that's from. I think it's a Mick Jagger at the concert film where the uh, Hell's Angels ended up killing some people. Oh, my it's God. It's uh, Altamont, I think it's called. Uh, night, late 60s. Yeah. Wow. Hell, the Rolling Stones hired the – Hell's Angels motorcycle group to do security at a concert, and boy, did that thing backfire. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, uh, so he said that from the stage? What are we fighting for? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, pretty good. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a, that is epic. That is epic. Uh, yes, yeah, so that's some uh, that's some Luca talk. Uh, if you if you follow the NBA, you probably are aware of TheRinger.com. Pretty yes, good website. Absolutely. Uh, they have an NBA. Well, they... <laughs> They have a, a new song out called Hallelujah, which I'm sure so you've heard, good. but definitely check that out. That's by Jason Gallagher, who is a Dallas guy. Yes. And uh, has been uh, affiliated with Mavs.com in the past. Very so. creative dude. Yeah, yeah, dude, super great. musical ability, and most people probably know that song because of the Jeff Buckley version. Although yeah. uh, KT told me that that was in Shrek. I don't know that I've ever seen Shrek. Do they sing Jeff, Hall- Jeff Buckley's version was not in. No, Shrek. but I think uh, like Mike Myers or Eddie Murphy or somebody oh, sing it. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So I, th- there was a cover of that song in Shrek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jeff Buckley's version was not in it. No, uh, Jeff Buckley's probably the most prominent version. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or the Beautiful guy who song. wrote it, Leonard Pro- Cohen. Leonard Cohen, yeah. yeah. Uh, Leonard Cohen, Chelsea Hotel Number 2, great song, by the way. Uh, but... Jeff Buckley's version of Hallelujah is probably the most beautiful piece of music ever performed. Pretty iconic. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, anyway, Hallelujah might have topped Jeff Buckley's version, so, <laughs> so, so check that out. Can but, we um, just in, do we have the the wherewithal to just insert Hallelujah into this podcast? Yeah, right let, now? let's listen to uh, let's listen to one of the verses here. Okay, play it. Well, maybe he should have been your pick. Even though he's white and thick, he's colder than a tall glass of kombucha. And we all cheered for his debut, and injured deck was cheering too. And every man shouted, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Oh my God, I'm crying. Me too. Well, I've never cried with you. This was a great moment yeah, this for is us. Our, our first, our first cry. Oh, this is awesome. I feel like we're bonding. Yeah. Well, we already. It's all thanks bonded. to Luca. Yeah. Luca yeah. brings people together. Yeah. Beautiful music. Beautiful music. Uh, uh, also, the the Luca Dennis discussion kind of stemming. It's topical right now, mostly because of that game, but also because the great Jonathan Charks wrote an article about it for the Ringer. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. Dallas's own. Uh, one of my very, very good friends. I love reading his stuff. Yeah, no, he he really thinks the NBA at a at a very kind of just different in a, in a different way than yeah. most of us. Yeah, um, he's very sort of like conceptual and theoretical when it comes to talking about players. Not theoretical because that's almost like an insult. But he he talks about players as 
archetypes, more you, you as know, ideas. You know who you else know? writes like that is Rob Mahoney, who's with Sports yeah. Illustrated now. Yeah. I remember the first Rob Mahoney stuff I, I read. I was like, man, what grad level class is he doing this for? Yeah. It's very like I'm going to get my master's. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You feel like you're reading a, uh, a thesis yeah. on this person. Yeah. And, and I love that style of writing. Yeah, it's great. And that's, how, that's how John is. You know, Rob is a little more like colorful and, and uses some very like some very beautiful language whenever he writes. John is more of like a just a really like sort of like macro high level understanding of like he loves Dorian Finney Smith because because he's smart yeah but he talks about his tools and in college because he's six foot eight because he has a wingspan mm-hmm. he's probably going to be good yes like that's just the way that he thinks of players right so uh, he's not surprised that Dorian's good he's like well yeah he should be good because of these reasons yeah but then that that line of thinking has also led him to say some pretty crazy things like for example Kyle O'Quinn could be an all star because he's a stretch five mm-hmm. at the peak of the Right. Uh, unicorn movement, and I'm not making fun of John. Just, hey, that's, we don't that's, hit. We that's don't, the way he thinks. Yeah, we don't hit the bullseye with every arrow we're slinging. Yeah, but he's very sort of like forward-thinking, modern NBA, everything. Yeah. And so his general take about Luca, this was before the draft, was that if you draft him, he needs to be your point guard, mm-hmm. and that's just kind of the way that he views it. There's no like compromise there, and so he sees Luca and Dennis on the same team, mm-hmm. and you look at Dennis's stats and say, all right, well he's shooting better this year, but he's is he that good of a shooter? Probably not yet. He's probably right. not a 40% three-point shooter right now. He right. might be someday, but he isn't yet. Uh, their net rating is way higher with Luka than it is with Dennis. Mm-hmm. Luka is putting up better numbers without Dennis. The team is putting up better numbers without Dennis. So the way that John sees it and the way that many people see it is that if you have to choose one, you're going to choose Luka. But have the way that I view it is that you don't have to choose one. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, have we um – and, you know, I haven't looked at the number breakdowns. How different are the numbers in the first nine games versus the last nine games? Oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, the first nine games, the numbers for everybody are They're going to skew everybody to crap. Yeah. And the other thing I would say, and I got to thinking about this because I saw a tweet, one of my favorite people on the Internet, a really great tweet about Harrison Barnes from somebody at Bobby Carella. Hey. And uh, you had talked about Harrison's last 12 games. And – you know, people forget that if you look at those clunkers, the Phoenix clunker in some of those early games, and then, you know, Harrison's getting acclimated, though that section of games pulls things down. And I think Harrison's value is way underrated to Maverick fans because part of it is, as I look at, you know, traditional arcs for players, Harrison is at uh, the onset of his prime. And usually what used to be defined in the NBA as the prime for a player who was 27 years old, but that was back when great players came out after their junior year in college because it was based on you still have a certain amount of athletic ability, not what you had when you were 21, but you haven't fallen off athletically per se yet. But now you have all this experience and you've seen all this. And what I think people discount with Harrison is, what is he, 26 or 27? 26 years old, yeah. He's 26. He's been in the league now for seven seasons. seventh season, yeah. Okay, he's won an NBA championship. He's played global basketball. He's also been the leading scorer for two years on a bad team. He's been through a lot of situations. He's seen the highs and the lows, and he's incredibly comfortable with what he does, needs to do on the floor. The best way to play just perceptually to watch a player's comfortability is what do they do when they get the ball after being out of the mix for seven or eight possessions in terms of touching the ball, not in terms of setting picks or whatever. And what Harrison does is exactly what he's supposed to do. He doesn't ever force up crap. You see a lot of guys in this league that haven't touched the ball, and they get it, and it's like, go time, what's this? Yeah. And that's not how he <laughs> it's plays. It's almost like a F you for not passing to me. I'm getting the shot no matter what. Right, and that speaks to his comfortability with himself, with his place in the league, and his talents and skills and what he's prepared for. And that was reflected in those stats that you tweeted out, which is why I started going down this rabbit hole. 
And so that's a factor in those first five or six games. Yeah, well, his, so his first two games back, he missed the first four games of the year, missed virtually all of training camp. His first two games back, he was 8 of 30. Rough. And for the season, he's taken only 193 shots. So basically one out of every six shots he's taken came in those first two games and he was trying to find his legs. Right. So that's why his numbers look like doo-doo because in those first two games, he was really bad. And that's why the numbers of the next 12 that you showed were outrageously Yeah, good. because all of a sudden he's a little more – he's get some practice time, gets a little more time to, to get his legs back, found his shot, and since then he's like 43% on threes. Yep. Which, hey – very good. Yeah. Well, we got sidetracked. Let's get back to the Luca Dennis thing. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. So my question, uh, you know, the the discussion has now turned to like, well, what are they going to do? Because in five years, you need to give the entire reins of your team to Luca, and uh, point guards are irrelevant now because everybody needs six eight guys who can handle the ball. And if you have a bunch of them, then you don't need a six one guy that can handle the ball. Right. So and I got I got to get rid of Damian Lillard if I'm Portland. Yeah. And I mean, I'm you know, I'm not trying to like make their make that view seem absurd because it is true if you can have a six foot eight point guard you're going to be better than if you have a six foot one point guard if they have identical skill sets right you know? um so sure yeah everybody would love lebron everybody would love Giannis and kd and everybody would love luca who probably right now is maybe the most valuable contract in the entire nba i mean you could make that argument for sure i yeah. mean whenever you've got rookies or second year players just balling out of control that's what you want pretty much in any sport. Yeah, and he checks virtually every box. I mean, the dude is second in clutch field goal percentage. Like, he's a beast. Okay. Infinitely better than I thought he could be as a rookie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I never so thought he could do anything like this as a rookie. And so if you're comparing Luka to Dennis, yeah, Luka is I much farther along. I don't think that's a crazy hot take because he should have been the first pick. Dennis was the fifth player taken at his own position. So comparing them against each other is almost unfair, even though, you know, they're similar age. They do similar things, I guess. They bo they're both sort of these dynamic playmakers, but for different reasons. So I don't think you have to have one or the other. That's my ultimate hot take is that you? It's not like a is Dennis holding Luca back? Right. Is Luca responsible? The way that John kind of framed it is that sooner or later the Mavericks are going to basically flip Dennis's and Luca's role to where Luca's your point guard, Dennis is the second guy, as opposed to Dennis bringing the ball up the floor and Luca being the second guy. Right. And I think that's a reasonable thing, but it, the way he frames it is that basically his closing line is, you know, it's up to Luca to help Dennis reach his potential, basically, is that can Luka make Dennis better? Yeah. And I, I think that's a that's a great players make their teammates better. Dirk made Jason Terry better. Right. But I think expecting a 19-year-old to make a 20-year-old better is crazy because that just, like, you're skipping so far ahead down the player development road. Like, these guys aren't even who they are yet. So I think it's just too early to be having this conversation. I think you're dead on there. I think if you want to look at things like you explained with Jonathan earlier, like in these sort of – I would be I'm I'm in no way concerned about whatever is or isn't happening offensively with Luka Doncic and Dennis Smith. If you want to make an argument that the Celtic game showed you something, then you better be talking to me about defense, not offense. Mm. Because what that game showed you and keep in mind Boston shot like 53% in the first half or something like that. Yeah. Um, that game was very competitive. Boston had the lead midway through the third quarter. Yeah, and, and you know, keep in mind Boston came in with pretty much the best defensive team in basketball, statistically speaking. They're the very they're like in the top three of all these major defensive categories. But at the halftime, both teams were shooting well over 50%, and it was an offensive show, right? Mm. And we had talked all this about the Mavericks defense being better, and we're sitting there at halftime going, wow, both teams are lighting it up. But what it showed you is, is that there's an argument to be made 
that Luca on the floor with Wesley and Dorian and Harrison and four guys that are kind of all within two or three inches of each other and then a center back there blocking shots is a great defensive look for the team. Like, in other words, if you want to try to make an argument against Luca and Dennis together, to me, you better be talking about defense. Because one of the great things in that Jonathan piece is, you know, some of the things Rick said about we give players five things that they're supposed to focus on. And if you read between the lines of all this, I have never heard anybody with the organization, including Dennis this year, talk about Dennis as a quote-unquote point guard. Our point guard needs to do this or our point guard needs to do that. All I've really heard in regards to Dennis is Dennis's role is to push our pace and to attack fast. Mm. Okay, so let me take you back to Monte Ellis. In fact, let me take you back to Don Nelson talking about Monte Ellis because Don Nelson was Monte Ellis's first coach at Golden State. And Nelly talks about how he wanted to, quote-unquote, turn Monte into a point guard. And Monte's response was, man, I just want to play. Quit telling me all this crap. I don't what, – what? Can, just, can I do what I do? And so I perceive the Dennis role not so much as, hey, Dennis, watch this John Stockton tape, as opposed to, hey, Dennis, watch how Monte attacked. Hmm. Go attack. Your attack creates all these other things for us. If we need to go run these sets with pinpoint passing, the ball is going to be in Luca's hands. And really, Luca in transition is great, but you can also have great advantage in terms of getting mismatches, not only in straight transition, but in secondary offense. The Mavericks have always charted, or at least not always, but in the last several years, I know the Mavericks have charted um, transition differently from the NBA because they view the opportunities differently. I think the NBA does if you – get a shot attempt in the first four seconds or whatever it is, and the Mavericks charted it differently. Because to me, transition is not necessarily about a fast break layup. That's great. But it's about, all right, with 18 seconds on the shot clock, do, they, do you have a bunch of cross matches? Yeah, because that then you exploit is the key. It. That's the key. And so when you have a guy that gets the ball and immediately attacks, what happens is, is players have to stop that ball. And it may not be the player that is defending him. It may be a big. It may be the nearest guy. Well, suddenly that – full-court onslaught of attack has created this defensive conundrum to where now they're not in their defensive set. They're on roller skates, and then you attack that. So it's like if you ask me what Dennis's role is, Dennis, attack, go, compromise them. And once we have them compromised, then we'll pick them apart. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the, the Brooklyn game, right? That's the last game Dennis played. He took, I think, two shots in that game. Yeah. One of them was a dunk. He wasn't shooting 20-footers because his wrist is sprained. Right. But – he was pushing off every single miss, and Harrison Barnes scored 28 points. Why? Because Dennis pushed the ball, and Barnes got matched up against Joe Harris. So it was right. like a layup line. And right. that's no disrespect to Joe Harris, but Barnes is just better than him. And bigger and yeah. stronger. And if Brooklyn is set, they're going to get Rondé Hollis-Jefferson on Barnes. Right. Who, by the way, had a great defensive game, RHJ, against Barnes and Luka. But if you can push the tempo off a miss and get Barnes skip that matchup, basically, then you have an advantage. You've already right. won. We're, we're talking about the game, you know, just differently than we used to talk about the game. So, you know, Dennis can have this defined role that works great on the floor with Luke at the same time. We're 18 games into their career. Yeah. One of the guys is a rookie, and the other guy just turned 21. And, by the way, you're asking him to do something different than he's done before. Does everybody not remember when LeBron went to Miami – in the first month, they had several multiple-game losing streaks. They had a couple three-game losing. Now, they won a bunch of games, too. But guess what? 
three of the greatest players in the world had to figure out how to play with one another. They were 9-8 and eight in their first 17 games. So we're going to go ahead and make these sweeping conclusions in the first 18 games of Luka and Dennis. What are you doing? Yeah. Look, if you have a if you have a preconceived notion that that you don't like Dennis's shot and you don't think he's going to be a great shooter and you think he's too small to defend, those are all fine concepts and I'm not going to argue those concepts with you. But if you're going to show me the first 18 games in which the first 7 for the Mavericks were trash quite honestly and you're making these conclusions about the career of these two players playing together, I'm sorry, I am tuning you out. Yeah, GTFO. I am tuning you out. I'm like, dude, are you just now starting to watch basketball for the first time in your life? I'm not saying that your your ideas or your concepts should be dismissed, but I'm saying if you're arriving at a conclusion because of this, I ain't got time for that crap. Yeah, there's just not enough evidence. So, okay, for example, I'm glad you brought up the Luca plus those three wings plus DeAndre. Like, that would also be a great position for Dennis to be in, I think. Like, Dennis plus Matthews plus Barnes plus Finney Smith plus Jordan. Guess how many minutes that lineup has played this year? Oh, uh, hold on. I mean, I bet it's not even ten. Three. <laughs> and what what is good about that group? Well, Matthews, Barnes, Finney Smith are all, in my opinion, plus defenders. Yes. And DeAndre's a big dude who can rebound and can protect the rim a little bit. Oh, and I got one more for you. Yep. All three of those guys have spent their entire career playing off the ball already. Yeah. There's no adjustment. Yeah, and so offensively it's great. Right. But defensively I think it's very good because you still have the size, versatility to switch and survive. Yes. But the, the advantage that that lineup has is that there's not a 20- and 19-year-old out there. Right. Like Luca and Dennis together, they'll figure out the offense, but that the defense is going to be an issue for them for many sure. years because it takes yes. guys years to learn how to defend at this level, and especially I, I, point guards and especially – slower wings right and I don't want anybody to sit here and saying that I'm guaranteeing you that these guys are going to be incredible together we don't know that either you know did anybody really think Markel Fultz would be where he is right now this is a hard world yep. you know I, I, I'm Donovan Mitchell after a great rookie year he's struggling this yes year. and you know why because teams have adjusted yep. and man Utah does not have a lot of scoring no. so it's like hey Donovan you got to do it every time that's a lot of weight right there so that's the kind of weight that LeBron and Kevin Durant and those guys did in sort of the peak of their careers, right? So uh, I just I just think that I look at it and I go, man, Dennis has got so much ability. If you're telling me that he's not going to be able to play with this, like, brilliant, uh, you know, Luka kid, I just – sorry, I'd, I'd rather – have a ton of evidence before I'm ready to make that assessment. Yeah, and I mean, who knows? Maybe in five years, both of them are still here, and maybe Luca is your your main guy, and Dennis is a super sub sixth man. Right. Maybe they're both starting together. I don't know, but Dennis was the ninth pick. Luca should have really been the first. You judge those players differently. Like that's yeah. just how it is. Like no one is expecting Dennis to be as good as Luca. That's just unfair. Absolutely. You know? So we don't know what's going to happen. Um, I think it's weird to try and identify a guy's ceilings whenever Dennis just played his 82nd game like a couple weeks ago. Right. Uh, and the Mavs won by 50. I think that was the Utah game, was his 82nd game. Anyway, uh, just enjoy it before we get all weird about it. Like, I'm don't I'm, worry about dude, this other I, times. I, I'm not telling, hey, don't don't come up with your theories. And I'm, I'm not it's saying. It's fun to think ahead. I mean, it yeah, is fun to think. And, and absolutely. look, Dennis' game has clear limitations right now. Nobody is denying that no but Lucas does too I mean he, they're young you know That's what just, I was young players are not great all the time yeah and it's just such a big adjustment so like you know I was talking about this with uh the DallasBasketball.com guys the other day if you want to like do some apples to apples stuff like when I watch De'Aaron Fox 
perform in the pick and roll. He's doing it. I haven't looked at numbers on this. There's probably numbers that are going to fly at me to go, no, Skin, you're wrong. But when I watch it with my eyeballs, and I, I like watching Sacramento play. They're usually later games. They don't interfere with other stuff on my NBA package. They're a fun team. Too, They're a fun team. I'm a Bagley fan. So when I watch Darren Fox, uh, uh, you know, attack a point uh, – I'm sorry, a pick and roll – and I watch Dennis do it. I think De'Aaron does it way better, in my opinion. I think he sees the angle faster, and I think he attacks it more aggressively, and I think it puts him in a better position. And the reason I bring that up is because they're the same age, they were drafted in the same draft, and teams are going to defend them the same because teams do not uh, uh, respect their outside shots yet. So they're going to probably you know, defend those guys. So I'm just talking about instincts, instincts and those sorts of things. I think De'Aaron Fox is ahead of Dennis in that specific regard. That's why right he was now. taken higher than Dennis. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I, we can't judge. I mean, judging players against other players is how you make roster decisions. But, like, De'Aaron Fox is better than Dennis right now. Right now. That's not – that doesn't mean Dennis sucks. It just no. means De'Aaron Fox is really good. Yeah. And also, you know, I fully suspect that, like, I don't look at Dennis right now and go, well, that's what he is. Shoot, man. You, you want to look at Dirk when he was 20 and tell me that's what he is? Yeah, think I'm so would, glad. I think glad. he would have made a mistake there, homie. Yeah, well, you'd probably think this guy's a bum. He'll never be good. You right. cut him. Right. Um, I'm glad you brought up the judging a guy when he's 20 because today, coincidentally, one day after the Charks article comes out about Dennis and Luca, uh, Zach Lowe writes an article for ESPN about Kimba Walker, who plays for Charlotte, is killing it this year. He's, he's an MVP candidate. Yeah, he's averaging 28 points a game. He's just – he scored 60 and then 43 the next night. Yes. Like, the dude's just a beast. He is. And, by the way, when we're sitting here talking about being wrong, so when he came out of college, I thought he was going to be Bobby Jackson. Me too. Who, I, did, I didn't think he was going to be that good. Who I thought, by the way, like Bobby Jackson, good player. Mm. Not a, Never an MVP candidate. No. Never the best guard on his team. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I – I, you know, the way he played at Utah – or at, at Utah – at UConn, mm -hmm. it's a lot of step backs, a lot of slow grinding, sort of ugly basketball back then. But that was kind of the era That's anyway. also college basketball. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I say that out loud? Yeah, but kind of Zach Lowe's point of this whole thing is that Kimba's really adjusted. And one guy that was with Kimba for almost his entire career in Charlotte up until this point was Stephen Silas, who's new Mavs assistant coach now. Um, and he interviewed Stephen for this article just talking about how Kimba's rookie year – uh, Steven Silas was always in his ear about just shoot, practice shooting. Like at the end of the year, they gave him his, their goals for the offseason. The first mm -hmm. three points were shoot, shoot, shoot. Right. Like that's all they cared about because Kemba's rookie year, he shot 30% on threes. Next year, 32%. Next year, 33%. Next year, 30%. So the first four years of his career, Charlotte's trying to become a competitive team. They got Al Jefferson down on the block. They're making the playoffs. Kemba is bad. I mean, bad from three. Teams yeah. are not respecting him. He's trying to take his game to the next level, but he averaged 17.7 points three years in a row, basically, mm -hmm. from uh, 2012 to 2015. So he's 22, 23, 24 years old. His rookie contract is expiring, and nobody knows if he's good or not. Right. That's a big is, problem to have. And he's, is he making like 12 a year or 12 something? a year, yeah. They he's got him on a steal. Yeah, because – and, you know, like Steph Curry, they got on a steal because of his ankles. Yeah. Kimball Walker, they got on a steal because he hadn't reached it yet. Yeah. But suddenly, in between 2015 and 2016, something clicked, and Kemba goes from 30% from three to 37% from three, hmm. then 40, then 38, then 38. Now, all of a sudden, he leads the league in pull-up threes. He's, two, she, he's shooting 10 of them per game, which is crazy. He's averaging 28 a game, and Charlotte is, you know, borderline playoff team. Right. So, if you're judging Kemba as a 20-year-old, he was still at UConn. Yeah. If you're judging him as a 22-year-old, you're saying, wow, this guy's got a clear ceiling. Well, Dennis is 20. Yeah. 
when Dennis, when Kimbo was Dennis's age, he was playing against Syracuse and freaking South Florida. Right. You know, Dennis is uh, Dennis is playing at the NBA level against the most probably stacked position in the league every yes. single night. Yes. And to his credit, he's shooting 39% on threes yes. in year two, which is miles ahead of where Kendo, Kimball was at that point. Yeah. So it's just like – and I, I, the, the main comparisons too, the size. They're both 6'1", 6'2", right. both very small. Uh, Dennis can jump much higher than Kimba. Kimba's probably just as quick. Yep. Uh, Kimba's very crafty with the ball. I think he's got tighter handles than Dennis, and that's something that uh, Zach Lowe wrote that Kimba worked on a lot is doing these – crazy ball handling drills where he's keeping the ball less than a foot off the ground, mm-hmm. uh, dribbling under different obstacles. You Seems did. like something Dennis will be doing with God Sham God here yeah. at some point. And also, it's interesting that you mentioned Silas because he's on the staff now. Yeah, and so st- it's it's crazy how the NBA works out. Yeah. Huh? It's so, almost like the Mavs saw that too. Right. Uh, if By the way, if um, if you're wondering about the whole dribbling with the ball that low off the ground, uh, and, you know, maybe this is an obvious thing, but that matters for change of direction. Oh, for sure. The yeah. closer the ball is to the ground when you change direction, the harder it is for a guy to get low enough to stay in front of yeah, you. Yeah, and if you're splitting defenders, you can put the ball way out low and they yeah. can't get to it. And whenever you're that small, you have a giant advantage over guys, even like Giannis, because they have super long arms, but they're not getting down low quicker than you you are because they're so much bigger than you think about what you're saying think about what people thought harrison was when he got here and what he's showing you now that the evolution never stops Mm. that's why the mavericks put so much emphasis on culture because and i know that's a broad term but if you get guys in here that have good work ethic and you have a good development staff and they have natural ability well guess what that's a you mix all those things together, you probably get a guy that's going to improve and get better and do the things that you want him to yeah, do. Yeah, and you got to have the right person, too. they got to have the right <laughs> approach, right attitude. And one thing, we're back to this body language talk, everyone seems to think that Dennis just hates basketball because it doesn't look like he's having fun whenever they lose games. Well, guess what? Guess who also had that problem? Kemba Walker. Walker. Yeah. They were telling him whenever he was a rookie, they were like, dude, you've got to – You've got to cheer up a little bit, and especially whenever he became better. 2014, Charlotte made the playoffs. Kemba had not very good individual numbers. He shot 39% from the field that year. But they said, like it or not, you're a leader. So, you know, you've got to just carry yourself differently. And Kemba was like, yeah, I grew up. I became a different person. And that's not saying that Dennis needs to grow up or that he's immature or whatever. It's just like – you change as you become a veteran. You know, yeah. you become a little. You become a little more of the guy that people look toward. You become the leader. You you gain a sense of self confidence. Did Talking you about Dirk all the time? He doubted himself until he was like twenty six. And and now we're riffing on Zach. I think Zach's article about Portland was last week. Did you read that? Um, I don't there, believe there so. was a lot. There was about how uh, and I think one of the main guys to do it. I'm trying to remember who it was. That's a coach now. Ah. It was, a, it was a former guard that had played with him and then moved on. Crap, I forgot who it was. Maybe I maybe I have read that. Cause but that it, it was weird. it was talking about, hey, Dame, you have to be a leader, dude. Yeah, okay. And it was right yeah. around the time LaMarcus was leaving. Mm. Uh, and it was like, hey, whether you like it or not. And so Damian Lillard does stuff like, do you remember the – and this actually was in a different piece, but there was kind of a joke that the Portland social media team had blasted out about a 10-day contract guy. Mm. And he called the general manager and said, this is my teammate. Take this down. Mm -hmm. We treat everybody the same. And how he would call coaches and find out how the young players were developing over the summer and take a vested interest in every single guy on the team. And that is what you do when you're a leader. You carry yourself differently. These guys have to learn that stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the the Dennis uh, body language thing 
I think is blown way out of proportion. However, Dennis has to fix that mm. because whether you know we get into perception versus reality and when perception becomes reality, hey, you may not be doing this for this reason, but if these people are perceiving it, then decisions are made based on that. So you got to you know, understand that and then impact people the way that you want to impact people. Yeah, well, and when did LaMarcus Aldridge leave Portland? Wasn't it? Lillard was like 28 years old. Yeah. Dennis is 20. Yeah. You know? I mean, it takes guys so long because not only are you working on your game, but you're working on yourself. Right. And think of whenever you were 20. Whenever I was 20 skin, I was like drinking a lot of beer, doing a lot of uh, illegal things. Mm-hmm. You know, just I you was used to just, steal cars, right? I was an idiot. Yeah. yeah. I've stolen. How do you think I got that Honda Civic, <laughs> man? I didn't, I didn't, I'm not leasing that thing. <laughs> you know, it's just. You are dumb whenever you're 20. Yeah. No offense. If you're 20, I mean, if you're out there listening and you're 20 years old, you're probably dumb. Yeah. I don't mean that as an insult. It just is what it is. This is what I always tell my kids. My kids are 13 and 11 now. Like, they'll have some thought or whatever. Like, Desmond, how old are you? I'm 11. It's like, do you know a lot more than you did when you were nine? Yeah. It's like, well, guess what's going to happen when you're 15, buddy? (laughs) Guess what's going to happen when you're 19? Guess what's going to happen when you're 23 and 27? Yeah, I mean, the learning learn. never stops. The wisdom is, is built through time. So the expectations we place on 19 and 20-year-olds in a grown man world that has tons of attention and money and sponsorship, it, they're just unrealistic expectations. Yeah, you can't do everything. Rome was not built in a day. How no, about that? it was not. That's kind of the – that is my official Luca and Dennis take is that Rome was not built in a day. Uh, okay, quickly, because yep. I know that we got we've been talking for a while here, and I this know is over an hour, right? We got to go boogie. Uh, no, not not over an hour. Probably okay. about probably about forty five oh, right really? now. I don't okay. know. Is there a little uh, thing on there? Oh, thing? 50. Wow, fifty three, dog. Okay, so we'll, we'll we'll I'm gonna run through some defensive numbers, and then I want to yep. get your takes about some teams in the West because my okay. God, it is a it is chaos out here right now. Let's go. Okay, so the Mavs defense, right? Pretty good lately. Yes, uh, October. Pretty not good. Pretty terrible. In the month of November, though, they are very good to the point where they're now the eighth best defense in the league if you're looking by defensive rating. Just for the month uh, or for the year combined? For the now. year. Wow, that's now. incredible. But that's mostly because of what's happened in November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Namely the Jazz game. That Jazz game has really skewed a lot of yeah. numbers. But before that, they ranked 12th on defense. After that, they ranked 12th on defense in the month. So for the season, they're eighth. Yeah. So good. Okay. I am trying to uh, become a basketball scientist. I've identified a couple areas that I think are the main reasons why the Mavericks have improved. Okay. Uh, more than just abstract things like effort, care, want to, yeah. uh, growth, all that stuff. Like these are statistical reasons why I think they're good. Okay. Remember whenever everyone was freaking out about the defense being terrible and we were saying they're just kind of unlucky. And that's what because I was Because of all the three-point shots that yeah. were dropping. Okay. Opponent shot 48% from three in the month of October. How can you win okay, a game? That's the, that's How the, can you win a game when your opponents you are doing that? That's the first eight games of the year. Yeah. 48% on threes. <laughs> and teams shoot like 30 of them a game. <laughs> yeah, okay? that's, 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 a lot of, that's a lot of points. It's outrageous. Since then. Opponents are shooting 29% on threes. There we go. That's 10 games. There we go. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> the, the start was so bad that despite being the best three-point defense in the league for the last 10 games, by far the uh-huh. best, the Mavs still rank 26th in the league <laughs> in three-point <laughs> oh percentage. Oh, my God. That's great. That defensive field goal. Defensive yeah, field goal. Yeah. yeah. That is how bad the start was. That's, like, historically bad. And yeah. some of that was you're wide open, and I'll get to some of those numbers in a second, but some of that is, like, Dumb luck. How know? did Zach Levine make that? How did – how did okay, Devin Booker, perfect example. Mm-hmm. You think Devin Booker's a great shooter. He made six threes on opening night. Since then, he's made 29% of his threes. Wow. Overall. 
every game that's combined. Probably, that's one of the reasons Phoenix has four wins. Yeah, and that's just that is how it is. Rondo makes a 35-footer against you in a game you lose by one. Right. Like, that is just how things happen sometimes. Right, right. So uh, some of it is just dumb luck. That's my official take. Uh, opponents, okay, these are actually good things that the Mavericks are doing and that they're controlling. Restricted area field goals. So restricted area, the little uh, the little half halo around the mm-hmm. rim, basically inside of three feet away from the basket. Right. Opponents are taking and making the third fewest shots in that area against the Mavs per game. Shout out DeAndre. Yeah. Shout out Maxi Kleba. DeAndre and Kleba, but it's also just the perimeter defense is is such is designed such that if they get beat off the dribble, they're still trying to steer these guys away from the basket. Mid-range uh, area. Yeah, make them pull up from 18 feet, make right. them pull up from 7 feet. All of these shots are tougher than layups. Did you, can I get to the statue? Do you remember yeah. when that uh, – the se- it was second half back-to-back, but do you remember when that journalist in Utah was putting out all those clips of yeah. DeAndre? And a lot of those clips were mid-range shots. Mm. And I was felt like going, you know that's the shot they want him to yeah, take, right? Want, yeah, like – Now, I'm not saying that DeAndre – you know, doesn't adjust or, you know, but I'm saying that's the preferred shot. Yeah, I just want to make sure. One you're of those no- plays was like a 15 footer from the baseline by Rubio. And yeah. Like if you challenge that shot, you're getting benched. Right. Because okay. Gobert is about to dunk the miss. Yeah. So, so no, yeah. you're not, you're not going out there, but that's, right. that's, yeah. You know, that's not, I just wanted to reinforce the point with a visual. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that was a great example of that. Um, speaking of mid range attempts, the Mavs force or opponents take the fifth most mi- uh, mid-range attempts per game mm-hmm. in the league, which is was it how which most fifth most? That's great. Yeah, that's a great stat. Yeah, opponents now they're, they're actually making seven point four, which is third most, and they shoot forty three percent on those shots, which is the seventh best. So mm-hmm. the Mavs are getting kind of unlucky there, I guess, if you want to view it that way. Mm-hmm. They're they're forcing the right shots. They're allowing a lot of them to go in. But the thing about forty three percent, forty three point three percent on two point shots, is that is averaging out to if you take a hundred of those shots, you're scoring 86 points. Badass. So that's really good. Yeah. Like 43% on twos, even though it's bad relative to the rest of the league, is still amazing. Because if you take a layup, you're making that 65% of the time. Right. If you take a three, you're making that. Let's say you make 33% of your threes, which is really low. That's still one point per shot. Right. This is less than one half of a point per shot. Yeah. So you're just doing. You're 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 very good. Yeah. Basically, is what I'm saying. Or less than one point per shot. I guess, but like 0.8 points per shot uh okay opponents short shoot the fourth fewest above the bake above the break my god i've forgotten how to speak skin that happens the fourth fewest above the break threes per game so the break is you think of the corner Mm -hmm. where there's the little break and it becomes an arc Mm -hmm. right basically corner threes are the best shots above the break threes are less desirable but they're still very good opponents shoot the fourth fewest of those they're making 38.2% of those shots, which is absurdly high, but Dallas is not – they're not allowing many of them. Right. So even though opponents are still hot from three in that area, the Mavericks are running those guys off the line. They're not letting you take open 25-foot shots. They're they're closing out on you. Dorian Finney-Smith, Wesley Matthews, Harrison Barnes, they're lunging out at those guys, forcing one or two dribble pull-ups from 20 feet. Which is the, much better. And those are the 43% shots. Yes. So that is kind of the ingredient – uh, the ingredients of the successful defense is that they're not allowing layups. They're not allowing a whole lot of threes. They're forcing a lot of those in-between shots, and guys do not like taking them. Kevin Durant loves them. Yeah. Kevin Durant almost beat the Mavs because he made a million of those. 
But guess who didn't? Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson would rather be shooting threes. Dorian Finney-Smith chasing him around, forced him to take 18-footers. Right. And that's the difference between winning and losing sometimes. And as good as Kevin Durant was and is all the time, wasn't he one for his final eight? One for his final seven, I think. Okay. Yeah, and a lot of those were mid-range shots. Right. And when you force difficult shots, so there's this shot, uh, there's this stat called uh, basically quality of shot affected field goal percentage. So it is what is the average NBA player what effective field goal percentage will the average NBA player have on the shots that they are taking, mm-hmm. right? And they, the uh, second spectrum uses that stat to gauge defensive effectiveness, basically. Mm-hmm. So if opponents are regularly taking high percentage shots against you, you're going to rank very poorly in these stats. Right. Dorian Finney-Smith is the highest ranked Mavs in that stat. His uh, average effective field goal percentage, like quality of shot, is 48.7% which is really, really terrible yeah. if you're an offensive player. Right. That means you're taking a lot of mid-range. You're taking a lot of pull-ups. You're taking a lot well, of contested twos. Do you know off the top of your head, or do you have within the realm of what is considered average effective field goal percentage? Um, yes. I will pull it up right now on the Dallas Mavericks podcast network. Effective field goal percentage takes into account three-point attempts. and the points. Counts threes is one-and-a-half shots, yeah. basically. So the 15th ranked team in the league right now in effective field goal percentage is Washington at 51.9. Okay, so that's basically, you know, just kind of like we're just throwing out the idea of average. Yeah, dead last in the league right now is New York at 49.2. Really wish he would have won that game, but that's fine. Dead uh, last? Dead last. And, and Dorian and is Dorian's better, better yeah. than dead so last. So the average, the average quality of shot that Dorian allows, where he's the closest defender, that's including threes, which are very right, high. right is below the worst team in the league. That is defensive player of the year type Absolutely. statistics. As, as the, I, I asked uh, Cuban one time, because he was talking about Finney Smith, and he was, we were talking about some other stuff too, but I just said, like, what is, how, do you, how do you guys measure defense? Like, mm-hmm. is, it, is it shots that opponents make against you? So, like, I shoot 50% against West. Does that mean West is getting torched? Mm-hmm. Well, no. They measure it as what shots do you not allow. Right. So – Wesley also ranks very highly in that stat, but unfortunately, so he his uh, his I forget how they I think it's like QSEFG is about fifty fifty point five something like that, which is really good. Yeah. But opponents are making they have a, a, an EFG of like fifty eight against him, so there's a huge difference. Yeah. So they're making shots that they shouldn't. Or, you know, you let Devin Booker hit five threes on you. Right. That's going to destroy so, your stats for the rest of the year. So we just we just went all over the place. Let's get back to the original stat. The effective field goal percentage. Expected fect- effective field goal percentage that Dorian and Wesley allow, mm-hmm. very low. What is Dorian's again? You said 40. About 48, 49. 48. Yeah. yeah. God, awesome. And Wesley's is about 50. Between yeah. 50 and 51. And that's, yeah. that's obviously changing game by game. So the next time right. you look at those numbers, they'll be way different. But right. the point is. Those are your two best defensive players, and they're forcing very difficult shots. If they were forcing a lot of threes, or if they if they were getting beat off the dribble and their guys were taking layups, they would be way high. They'd be they'd be terrible. Right. Like Lucas, for example, not very Probably good. Not very good. Dennis's, for example, not, not very, very good. good. DeAndre's not very good, but that's because centers defend around the rim a lot, and yeah. your expected field goal percentage at the rim is like in the 60s. Yeah. So. Dorian and Wesley are you two guys in Barnes that are defending these perimeter players who want to take a lot of threes, but they're forcing them to take 18-foot shots, mm-hmm. and that is good. And unfortunately, you know, Wes has missed the last few games when the Maps have been playing better defensively, so he's not benefiting from the, the regression the way that Dorian has. 
But those guys, if they continue forcing difficult shots, the Mavericks are going to continue being a really good defense. What percentage of our, of our audience do you think just fell asleep in the last seven minutes? Ninety-one percent. Well, well no, I don't know. I think not. I mean, yeah. I, this really and it's it's difficult to just explain numbers. Yes. I could just pull up a spreadsheet and show you. Yeah. But this is like proprietary information, and I'm not even sure I'm supposed to be talking about right, it. Right, right, right. But that's kind of the you know it's tough to explain this stuff, but hopefully. Hopefully you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think I, I, you know, I haven't looked at it, but I know what you're. I know exactly what you're saying. But yeah. and just, I know the numbers are very good. I know that we have a lot of, you know, th- I say this term affectionately because this is how I would describe me, you, and Followell as basketball nerds. Yeah, and I think we have a high percentage of basketball nerds that listen to this, but I think we also have just a lot of good average MFFLs that follow this as well that aren't doing deep dives on numbers. Yeah. Uh, so I hope that that percent, that portion of the audience is staying with us on this because you it expands I think your appreciation of the game mm-hmm. like I think uh, oh, let me just let me just promote something right quick me okay. and Ben promote Balcones the whiskey in Waco yeah and their slogan is distilled to appreciate the idea being when you have a deeper knowledge of something it allows you to appreciate it on so many different levels so I my mother is the fan that turns on the game and just, God, she loves J.J. and Dirk so much, mm. and she wants to hug them. And that's great, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great way to enjoy basketball. But I think one of – at least my goal, and I think you have the same goal with this podcast, is can we get you to appreciate things on a deeper level uh, so that you can appreciate it on all those levels? You can want to hug J.J., and then you can also go, man, look at the way Dorian is forcing that guy to take that and particular shot. you can love shot. Devin Harris. Absolutely. And thank you. We came full circle. Yeah. So just the next time you watch Wes and Dorian play, just really focus on the shots that they are allowing. Yeah. Their opponents are not getting a lot of threes against them. And if – whatever. If Devin Booker is going to make 18, 20-foot shots in a row against you, mm-hmm. then, yeah, you're going to think Wes is getting torched. But it's – those are shots that you want to allow. If Absolutely. You, if you allow 50 mid-range shots a game, you're going to win the title. Yep. Uh, okay, last thing before we get out of here. I, w- I wanted to go t- kind of team by team, but just uh, macro – Western Conference playoff take right now. These are the teams that are not in the playoffs. I want you to tell me which one of them yep. uh, or maybe which two of them are most likely to actually be in the playoffs at the end of the season. Right. So right now, uh, Phoenix is not in the playoffs. They don't count. They're basically an Eastern Conference team at this point. They're done. The best six teams that are not in the playoffs, Spurs, Mavs, Wolves, Pelicans, Rockets, Jazz. I believe. <laughs> I believe on our pre on our preseason show, we each predicted that like at least five of those teams would I make know. the playoffs, and yes. all six are out right now. Yes. So, which of those, maybe one, two, th- even three teams, are you confident are going to rise? And Rockets if, if, for sure. Okay, and if that and if if they do rise, then who's falling out? I think Sacramento is the obvious candidate, but who, where, here, I'll put, I, I looked at this the other day. Here are the three teams. One of these, you're going to go. You're crazy. Here are the three teams I think are most likely to fall out. Okay. Sacramento, Memphis, and the Clippers. Yeah, I see. The Clippers are number one in the Western. They're first in the Western Conference. So I understand if you tell me I'm stupid and don't know basketball for saying that. I get that. I'm okay with it. Uh, I still think, I mean, the way the Clippers are doing it is good, and I respect it. And I did not expect them to make the playoffs. And I think they have a great coach. And, I, dude, I, I, I've been big on this. And if there's any big, big, deep-pocketed people out there listening, I want to do a documentary on Lou Williams. So if dude, anybody out there wants to fund so that. So good. Yeah. If anybody wants to fund my documentary on Lou Williams, let me know. I'm very interested. Lou, if you're out there listening, 
Yeah. It could be self-produced. I know, no, 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 because I hated Jalen Rose's documentary on the Fab Five. That's oh, called okay. propaganda. I oh, don't want to wow, do a propaganda okay. piece. I want to okay. do a legitimate documentary. All right, never mind. Lou, if you're out there, yeah. don't No, don't I can't I can't have you fund it, Lou, because yeah. then it becomes propaganda. But I want to do a Lou Williams documentary, and shout out to the Clippers. I respect it. I think Memphis and Sacramento will fall out. Mm. Uh, but if they didn't, that's Sacramento will. But if they didn't, obviously Gasol and Conley are still – two of the top 30 players in the league or top for 35. Jaron Jackson yeah. may end up being like, who's better, him or Luka? You know what? what's happening with Jaron Jackson is I think what we talked about at the beginning of the year last year with Dennis was like, look, Dennis has a chance to be rookie of the year because he's out there with Dirk and he's got veterans around him. Jaron Jackson being out there with Gasol and Conley is putting him in a position to do the awesome stuff oh, that he's sure. doing. Absolutely. It's a great opportunity for him, and he is. Like, there was a game last week where didn't he hit four threes and block four shots? or Yeah, something like he became one of the, oh, I think, five players ever to do that. Yeah, it was. He blocked dude, seven shots in a game the other night. There's times where I watch, like even the Mav game, if you watch that, there's times where I watch him where he just looks like this big giant gazelle on skates trying yeah. to figure out how to use his big limbs and all this. But, man, he plays with this real high motor, and he's really long and athletic. and Perfect situation for him, I think, all yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still think Memphis will fall out. Sacramento for sure. Clippers, a little more of a long shot, but I think. Okay, so so that's, then that's three, that's three falling that's three out. Spots. Okay. So then I think the Rockets are definitely in. I don't know about the Jazz. Me neither. Dude, they're digging. The, now, I will say, they have played one team all season with a losing record. Yeah, and so dude, have you seen all the road out. games they've yeah, played? It's cra- they've it's played brutal. 13 road games, eight home games. Yeah, it's brutal. Their schedule's been brutal. So but – it's kind of the Mavs situation of a couple of years ago where, you know, the Jazz are only 9 and 12. They're not 4 and 17. But eventually the hole gets too deep. Yeah, it gets too deep. So but they, I want to everybody go back and look last year at the hole they were in. Yeah. Now, part of it was because Gobert missed all that time, and then Donovan Mitchell became unguardable. Yeah. So that could turn on a dime. I'm still a Jazz believer, but I know. the clock is ticking. It's man. ticking. Uh I, now, I thought the Spurs would make the playoffs, but I thought they would be a fringe team. Mm. And so if the Spurs didn't make the playoffs, I wouldn't think that's all that crazy. I believe on this here podcast, I predicted them to miss. Okay. And I and, and, and the logic is, hey, man, they're a mid-range team. But, you know, I mean, I think a lot – I did this comparison a couple of weeks ago. It's like if you do the mid-range exceptionally well, it's like the Cowboys running the ball when everybody else is passing. You take the air out of the ball. You can make it your game. And right? you're be open from there all the time because they want you to take they those shots. They want you to take those shots. And DeMar DeRozan and Marcus Aldridge are brilliant mid-range players. Yep. So having said all that, uh, I think the Rockets are in for sure. I think I would be – unless there's some injury. You know, the injuries always change the game, right? We're talking right. relative health. I think the Rockets are in for sure, uh, and I think, you know, I think they're the only sure shot, quite honestly, because mm-hmm. I think you could design narratives for the Mavericks, the Timberwolves, the Spurs, and the Jazz where things all go in the tank. Yeah. Uh, I, my heart says the Mavericks are in, dog. They've figured out what ails them. So if they stay relatively healthy, I'm putting them in. But I'm a homer. I'm wearing a look. At, there's a Maverick logo on my boot yeah. right now. If you can see that. Yeah. There's uh, one on. Oh, you're doing wearing a Mavs, Mavs gaming. gaming. Yeah. Uh, now I will say the difference between being in the playoffs and missing the playoffs right now is basically if you're 500 or near on the road, you're probably in the playoffs. Uh, Spurs, Mavs, Wolves, Pelicans, Suns, obviously, all have fewer than five road wins. Okay. So and the Mavericks are about to fix their road woes because, as Derek Harper says defense travels yeah when they played the majority of those games earlier they were playing no defense yeah and then one of those that was in the good stretch was the jazz on the second night of a back-to-back 
right? If we're going to give the Jazz a break for us beating them by 50 on the second night of a back-to-back, let's give ourselves a break for playing in Utah on the second night of a back-to-back. Turning it into a competitive game for a minute, but right. it was really a, it was a blowout. So, so let's we're about to see with tonight against the Rockets and then the Lakers, uh, will this defense travel? And yeah. we may feel, feel way differently. I will say this. Last year, 48 games was the eight seed, I believe. Didn't Something like I that. I think uh, Minnesota won 48. Ain't going to take that many this Things year. Things going to be 44, 43. If, I really if that even. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy right now. Uh, so to kind of put a bow on this whole thing, we're going to learn a lot about the Mavs playoff chances here in the next couple of weeks. Yep. Uh, their next few games, they go the two. The next four are hypercritical. Yeah. you got to go two and two at least. Yeah, they go to Houston, obviously, uh, Wednesday night. That's tonight. Damn. They're in Houston. Then Friday, they go to L.A. to play the Lakers. Yep. They come home on Sunday to play the Clippers. I think that's a game that you could win because the Clippers on the road are different, and also the Mavs played the Clippers really well in this building. They always have. Yeah. Uh, and then the Blazers come to town the next game, and that's, that's going to be tough. And then you go to New Orleans back-to-back. Then you play Houston at a home. So that is a six-game stretch where you're playing the Rockets twice, the Blazers and the Clippers, two Big. of the top five teams, uh, Pelicans and Lakers who you're jockeying with the playoff position if you right go, now. If you go four and two, dude, four and it's two on. Is great. It's on. And really at any point of the season, going two and four or three and three, if you're like a fringe playoff team like the Mavs are at this point, is considered a win. Yeah. So two and four is not like sound the alarms because after that you play Orlando, Atlanta, Phoenix, Sacramento, four games in a row. Uh-huh. But if you can win four, then like – Man, you're feeling you You feel really, really good. That Houston game that ends that stretch is like a 5 o'clock tip. It's a weird. Very odd. 5 yeah. o'clock on a Saturday. I don't We're know doing why. a one-hour pregame show on Fox. Okay. We'll start pregame at 4 o'clock. Is there something? Is there? Why, By the way, Saturdays are – I don't know why. Saturdays are Saturdays badass, are badass, man. and they're huge on Fox Sports Southwest. We've we've done our pregame shows a lot of the time. They're so cool. We've done it out on the plaza. Yeah. We, Dana Larson has kind of been doing not only pre and post, but she's doing like some sideline stuff. So we've been really blowing it out. I w- we want you to watch every Mav game, but, man, really give us some eyeballs on these yeah, Saturdays. Yeah, that's great. And the, g- the good thing, too, about that uh, December 8th game, the 5 p.m. tip might seem weird, but that means pregame starting at 4, yep. right? Yep, yep. Beautiful winter afternoon, yep. 4 p.m. It's going to be crisp and beautiful out there on the plaza. So come we got it. play games, hang out with your kids, your friends, and all that stuff. We got it. Uh, okay, cool. This yeah, is a good one. This is, this is a good pod. Good energy, man. homie. This is going to be a good week of basketball, yeah. too. we got Houston, Lakers, Clippers, Blazers before we talk to you next. By then, we'll know a lot more about this team. Uh, I'm looking forward to this next week's skin. Uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving. You as well, Jeffrey. Yep. And uh, to you listening at home. And uh, we will be with you one week from today. It is Numbers on the Boards. See you.